when I self-published the book, something that happened was that my friends weren't reading it. They were just supporting me, but they weren't reading the book because they told me that they didn't want to learn about my morning routine. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. You've probably heard of allegories, but have you considered writing one? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to Become a Writer Today podcast. Allegories are a particularly underserved genre, but they're certainly popular. Consider Paolo Coelho's The Alchemist. Well, if you're considering writing an allegory or if you're just curious about the genre, that's what we're going to cover in this week's podcast episode, where I catch up with the popular nonfiction writer and author Jordan Gross. But before we get into that, here's a quick personal update. So I've been reflecting recently on how my routine has changed over the years. When I started writing for more than a couple of hours a day, I used to struggle with repetitive strain injury. My hand would cramp up because I'd be hunched over the keyboard for hours on end. And I actually got sciatica at one point because I was spending hours sitting down at a desk. And I wondered what to do about this problem because if you're going to write for a couple of hours, you need somewhere quiet where you can work. And typically that means sitting down in front of your keyboard or your notepad. So I started changing how and when I write. And at first the changes were kind of subtle. You know, I'd break in the afternoon to go for a walk or for a run. And I also took up CrossFit in the morning where I would take part in weightlifting or other exercises before the day's work. These days I've been incorporating dictation more into my writing workflow. So what I'll typically do is outline an article or a book chapter on a series of index cards or on a notepad. And then I will go down into the kitchen with my phone or a dictaphone and I will dictate that draft several times into the device. Then I'll send it to a service like Rev where I'll get it transcribed. I've also used speech to text software like Dragon Dictate over the years. But lately I'm using Rev because I like the accuracy of having a human transcriber. Now I know if you're a new writer, you might not have a budget for using Rev. And if that's the case, I'd recommend using speech-to-text software. But but the key takeaway from all of this is to reframe what it means to write. In other words, could you write while you're out for a walk by dictating notes into your phone, for example? Considering how many people, you know, use their phones on the go, it's probably not going to look odd if you're dictating into your phone with a headset. I've also found that walking around while writing or outlining or dictating unlocks fresh thinking. So if I'm feeling blocked, you know, on an article or a book chapter when I'm sitting at my desk, if I get up and walk around, get the blood moving, I could think of a solution for that particular challenge, you know, while I'm out for a walk or a run. And then when I sit back down at the desk, I feel a little bit more energized and I can work through that problem. And then there's actually some science behind this which says that exercise can unlock creative thinking. I also like getting out because it gives me a chance to read. What do I mean by that? Well, I rely on the service Audible quite a lot. So I have a huge selection of audiobooks because I've been a member for years now. I have many of their badges because they gamify listening. But when I'm out for a long run, I often bring a set of earphones with me and I listen to an audiobook at 1.5 speed. Two great audiobooks I listened to recently were The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Eager. He's the Disney CEO, or should I say former CEO, because he stepped down recently. And also Can't Hurt Me Now by David Goggins. 
I enjoyed both of these audiobooks because they were narrated in part by the author, which is always great to hear. And The Ride of a Lifetime is a fascinating business book about somebody's career. I always enjoy hearing about how people's careers have evolved over the years. Whereas Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins is all about his insights into physical training and endurance and hard work. It's a little bit dark and if you can get past the first chapter or two, it certainly gets a little bit more hopeful and helpful and inspirational. But I encourage you to check out either of those books if you're out for a walk or even a run or you just have a bit of time that you want to dedicate to reading. I also like audiobooks because it gives me an opportunity to read without sitting down so I can combine exercise with another hobby. Those two books were, of course, New York Times bestsellers and they were incredibly popular. Bob Eager and David Goggins are also very well known online. But what if you're starting out as an author? How can you go about selling copies of your book? And should you write a traditional business book or a traditional self-help book if you're going to write nonfiction? Well, one author who's faced those questions and found an interesting answer is Jordan Gross. He's a fairly prolific author on Medium. And we're actually in a group together where we collaborate on articles for Medium. And Jordan is also the author of the new book, The Journey to Cloud Nine. Unlike most traditional self-help, it's an allegory whereby Jordan demonstrates key concepts and ideas from his research and insights through fictional storytelling. To be honest, I haven't come across many allegories in recent years apart from Paolo Coelho's works, so I was interested to catch up with Jordan when I heard he'd published an allegory. In this interview, he explains the problem with traditional self-help and business books today. He explains why he veered away from this genre completely after his first book. He also gets into how you can write an allegory. Jordan also talks about how he landed a TEDx speaking gig and what he's doing to sell copies of his new book through public speaking. And it's an unusual approach to promoting a book. There's lots more we cover in the interview, but I started by asking Jordan why he decided to write an allegory in the first place. I need to backtrack a little bit. So this is my second book, The Journey to Cloud Nine. And my first book was a self-published book called Getting Comfy, Your Morning Guide to Daily Happiness. And it was what I did the month after I quit my corporate job. So I was still, you know, looking for jobs casually, kind of taking a little bit of a break. And I said, I've got all this content based off of personal development books that I've read and podcasts that I've listened to. And now, you know, why don't I put this content into a book format? So that's what I did. And I thought, I was this 23-year-old kid who quit corporate America. I went to fancy universities and here I was with this morning routine concept. I thought I was going to be a New York Times bestseller right off the bat. But uh, obviously, I learned very quickly that that's very challenging to do. So uh, when I self-published the book, something that happened was that my friends weren't reading it. They were just supporting me, but they weren't reading the book because they told me that they didn't want to learn about my morning routine read self-help because they didn't want to be told what to do, right? And I think that's why a lot of self-help doesn't necessarily work as effectively as it should because people want their own insights. People want to make their own realizations about their own lives. They want to be their own person, right? So when I came up with the concept for Living Life on Cloud9 and the Journey to Cloud9 book, I did a ton of research for about six, six months to nine months interviewing people all over the world about the key ingredients of living life on cloud nine, how you have a cloud nine moment, day, week, life, whatever it is. 
And I got all these insights and I found some key themes and patterns and I did research about euphoria and ecstasy. And I said, okay, I have two potential avenues to go down now. I can either do the same type of self-help book that my friends won't read and just share these insights and, uh, you know, create like an acronym like I did with the first book or just share different interviews like I did with the first book. Or I can do something a little bit different, right? And I can basically trick my buddies into reading my book by sharing my findings in this entertaining fictional story. And that's what I did with the journey to cloud nine. I basically created this character who is not living a cloud nine life. And then I juxtapose all the decisions he's made in his life in his life that were not so cloud nine with what his life could have looked like had he chosen the cloud nine lifestyle through everything that I learned, right? So I'm by no means telling the reader, here's what you have to do. I'm showing them by using emotion, by using characters, by using the plot, exactly you know, what your life could or could not look like as you uh, go about the book and, and go about your own life. What struck me about the book is it reminded me of Paulo Coelho in that it feels like an allegory. (laughs) Yeah, that's, you know, I'm so glad you said that. It puts a big smile on my face. My favorite review that I've received so far is that it's a millennial version of The Alchemist. So it is, you know, I'm not going to write, I'm 25, so I'm going to write based off of what I I know and to my own peers. But um, yeah, that's one of my favorite books of all time is The Alchemist. And I like to write what I consume. So I was reading a ton of self-help up until, you know, about a year ago, and I got bored of it, honestly. I was like, there's, you know, contradictory advice and all the information's getting overwhelming. So why don't I try to just read a fun story? And I picked up The Alchemist and I said, this is how we sustain our long-term personal development by getting our own insights from these kinds of stories. So I said, why don't I give myself a try at writing a story just like this? And did it take long to write? Because that's quite a challenging or quite a challenge you set out on to to create an allegory. Exactly. This is the craziest part of this entire experience. November 2018, I had the idea to write about Cloud9 and I was done with the first draft by January 1st of 2019. So it took about five weeks to put it all together. And I kid you not, you know, the state of flow, right? Being in flow. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think it existed because I, I'd never been in it. But when I was writing The Journey to Cloud9, I could sit at my table for 11 hours straight and forget to go to the bathroom. And I, and I drink a lot of water, so I go to the bathroom a lot. And it was just crazy. It, the words just kind of poured out of me. I would reread the next day what I wrote the day prior and said, Who, who's that guy writing that stuff? Because it was just such a surreal type of writing experience. I know you said you were working for 11 hours, but like on a typical day, what did it look like? You would get up at what time? Yeah. And, and you yeah, would so, write for how long? Yeah. So a typical day writing for me for the journey to cloud nine is actually waiting until the end of my day in order to get started with the writing because I like to take the experiences from my day and see if I could weave any of the stories or the people or the scenes that I saw in my everyday life into the actual allegory, right? So I would go through a whole day of writing on Medium and LinkedIn and all that and coaching and speaking, whatever else I do. And then around 6 p.m., I would go to the Starbucks near my house. I would sip on a tea 
And one day I would do a bunch of research based off of the chapter that I wanted to write. And then the day after I would write a full chapter. And then the day after that, I would review that chapter. And then the next day I would start it again, do research, write, review, research, write, review. And it was from about six till eight, eight thirty every evening for about five weeks. And like I said, though, there were a couple of those days where I was just in such a groove, had nothing else to do where I just did, you know, 11, 12 hours. So you said your first book, Getting Comfy, was yeah. traditionally published, or sorry, excuse me, self-published. Is, self-published. Is the, is the Journey to Cloud9 self-published or traditionally published? The Journey to Cloud9 is the middle step. So boutique publishing is the okay. firm. And it, it's been an amazing experience. Basically, the difference is that I had all of the team members that a traditional publishing firm would have, you know, they had an editing team and a design team at a marketing team and a distribution team, except uh, I paid them upfront as opposed to with traditional, you just, you know, the traditional publishing house gets a percentage of your royalties. So I own all the rights and royalties and I just paid them upfront. So that's a big difference. Then also with traditional, obviously they have bigger distribution channels. So the book has some amazing testimonials at the start. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. something the boutique publisher helped you with? I think I saw, uh, was it Daniel Pink? Yeah. Yeah, like that's, that's, that's a great testimonial to get. Yeah, no, the, the publisher doesn't help at all. And I've actually heard from a lot of people who I know in the traditional publishing have been traditionally published that they won't really help you like that. They can make some connections, but at the end of the day, all the marketing and outreach is still on you unless you're like this huge big time author. So I'm definitely not there yet. But for me, those, those testimonials came from two years of deliberately growing my network and adding value to people. And the story with Daniel Pink, for instance, is that he's a Northwestern alumni and he kind of had a similar trajectory of his career that I want to take where he studied you know, pre-law or he studied history at Northwestern and then he went into law and then he didn't love law. So he, he was in politics for a little bit. And then all of a sudden he starts writing books on human performance, right? He made that total switch. So I shared with him that story about how I just want to make a total switch too into the writing world. And we got on the phone and then I just stayed in touch for the last little while. And he was willing to read the book and, and share a testimonial. So with him, Hal Elrod, Dory Clark, it's been because I've, I've been following their work for a year or two now and constantly trying to review their pieces or see if I can connect them to somebody, just add little things to their lives so that when I finally need to make an ask, they'll be willing to say yes, just like they did. So Jordan, before we started recording, we were talking about the business behind a book. And a lot of nonfiction authors I've interviewed don't make an income directly from the book, although they might make some royalties, but they generally offer coaching or courses or some others service that helps their readers, but you are taking a different approach. Could you, could you describe what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So ever since I was young, I had this mindset of, I'm going to do the opposite of whatever everybody else is doing. And uh, you know, when I was like uh, in high school, I was a shot put thrower, you know, that the shot put, and I'm 5'9", like 180 pounds. And meanwhile, the best shot put throwers are like 6'5", 300 pounds. And there I was competing with them because everybody told me, you're not going to be a good shot putter. But I found a way to use my speed and agility to be a good shot putter as opposed to everybody using just like their brute strength, right? So that's always been my mindset to just kind of whatever everybody tells me, prove them wrong and prove myself right. 
So that's what I want to do with the book. And like you said, so many authors will tell you right when they write their book, I'm not making money off of this book. Or people will say to me, so what are you doing to make money? You're obviously not selling the book itself. And every time I hear that, it motivates me one step further to just sell 25,000 copies of this book, right? So selling the book is my main strategy. And then all the other tools that most people use for their main monetization strategies, speaking, coaching, courses, I'm, I'm just using that to sell the book, right? So if I'm going to go out and do a speaking engagement, I'd much rather have them say, we're not going to give you a fee, but we'll buy 100 books, then we won't buy any books and we'll give you a $1,000 speaking fee, right? So yeah, that's what I'm doing. And even my coaching clients, I have them pay me in books now. So they just have to buy, you know, whatever my fee is in books, as opposed to just paying me on PayPal or whatever it is. And then, yeah, my outreach strategy is very personal. It's, it's totally human connection based. So I reach out to 100 new people a day, 25 people who I've already had conversations with. I offer free chapters of the book so you can get a feel for it at first. And then, you know, after that, I hope that you enjoy the free chapters enough to go sign into Amazon and purchase the, the full thing. So we're, we're recording this interview at the end of February mm-hmm. and the book is out about a month and you already have nearly 90 reviews, which is very impressive mm-hmm. for, for a newly Thank launched you. nonfiction yeah. book. How, how long are you going to focus on your strategy of, of just selling the book? Yeah. So my strategy for this year is until about the middle of July, it's all going to be behind the scenes work. So podcasts, interviews like this, personal outreach, posting content, more medium articles, things like that. Like everything I can do from right here where I'm sitting at my table. Yep. And then the six months after that, my goal, like I told you before, is to do 50 speaking engagements. So getting out there, really going to networking events, getting to schools, prisons, juvenile detention centers, maybe not corporations. I think I have a different message than a, like a traditionally corporate place, but really just, just getting out there and spreading the word and, and sharing this message in person. So I'm going to start doing the outreach for that next month. And again, that's behind the scenes work where I can just sit here and email people. So I understand how you could turn a typical nonfiction self-development book into a a talk or a speech, but how would you turn an allegory into a speech? Yeah, so my speech is actually going to be totally based on storytelling because that's what I believe is setting this book apart from the rest of the personal development world. So the journey to cloud nine is made up of nine key ingredients for our lives that I've uncovered, right? And what I'm going to do in a talk is provide a story that shows each one of these nine ingredients. So for example, the first component of living a cloud nine life is playfulness, right? So I'll tell a story about a character in the talk who has an inflection point where he could either make a choice to play or not play. And it's going to be totally based on the audience's engagement. So I'm going to have a tool where they can vote on which way the story goes. And depending on which way the story goes is how the rest of the story will unfold. So if they choose the cloud nine path, then the story will go where the character goes the cloud nine path with all the rest of the clouds. And then they'll just be such an active audience component where they'll stay focused throughout the the entirety of the talk. And ultimately, it will reveal how to live a cloud nine life. And ultimately, the message will be that you are the storyteller for your life, which is why they have such an active role in the presentation. So that's, 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 a, the talk that's, a, good, that's a good approach. Yeah. And have you tested that yet? Haven't tested it yet. 
I'm giving a TED talk uh, in two weeks from now on basically the power of stories. So I'm hoping that that provides some uh, leverage as to how I can get into these places and start giving this presentation. But I'd love to, you know, come back and tell you how amazing things are going with the uh, that interactive talk that I want to start giving. So before the interview, I was looking at your profile on Medium and it's yeah. safe to say you're fairly prolific. I think you'd publish an article almost every day. So how do you balance writing with promoting your book and the other parts of your business? Yeah, I am. I love routine, but I hate monotony. So I've got a really structured day. Every day I print, I literally print something out so I can cross off with a pen 18 different activities of my day. So I start really early with, you know, your typical gym and, and self-care stuff. And then uh, after that, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I write something new on Medium. And it's, for me, I'm, a, I'm like a short, quick story type of, of hitter on Medium. So I'll write something in an hour that's a three to four minute read. And then on Tuesday, I'll proofread or Thursday, I'll proofread. And then I post on that day. So that's pretty good. And then in the middle of my days, I do pretty much all promotional stuff. I do all my outreach messages. I do all of my podcast interviews. I do my LinkedIn content and things like that. Uh, what publications do you find are working well for you and Medium at the moment? For Medium, Mind Cafe. Yep. Got a buddy, Adrian Drew, who, who just kind of pops those up once you send them in. Um, and the readership there, I think, is really nice because they're, they're looking for useful ways to think differently. And that's what I'm all about, right? Trailblazing a new way of thinking for people. Other than that, Publicious is really good. That's a little, I try to put some of my lighter stories onto Publicious. Um, Mind Cafe are like a little bit more of a deep thinker type of story. When I share stories about my process, right? Like how I got a TED Talk, I put that on Better Marketing through uh, Nick and the Better Marketing team. And then... Once I, every so often I have an article I think can really pop and that's when I publish through Forge, the medium's personal development platform. So those are really the ones I stick to. If I, if I write something that's a little bit more emotional, I'll send it over to Dan at PS I love you. But those are the ones I stick to. I don't want to, I don't want to go too much. Right. So I think yeah. those five are a good, a good place to be. And postgrad survival guide if I write something about, you know, being a 25-year-old or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And would you yeah. say Medium is a key part of your writing career at the moment? I really think so. A couple of different reasons. One is just credibility and visibility, right? Just growing a following on there. I also love consuming, right? That's how. So LinkedIn is probably my biggest platform, right? I've got over 20,000 followers on there. But the way that I grew was through engaging with other people, really. So I love to consume other people's content and share my thoughts on their work. And that's how I started on Medium, too, is just by reading a lot. So that's why I love Medium so much, because I get to read you know, your work. I get to read Mike's work and, and all these people that we know. But yeah, other than for the visibility side, like obviously you get to earn on Medium, which is nice. And then uh, you can put some calls to action to your books on Medium. I haven't tracked conversion for that or anything yet. So what would you see is the difference between putting a post or article on Medium versus LinkedIn? The main thing that comes to mind is, I mean, first audience, LinkedIn, my audience, I pretty much know because I'm so proactively reaching out to people on LinkedIn, I can recognize almost every name of somebody who's engaging 
with my piece so I can have personal conversations with them. Medium is a little bit more anonymous. I don't really know who's liking my articles or reading them and you don't really get a chance to connect with your audience as much. And then the other thing would just be that on Medium, the article has a potential to earn based on its performance as opposed to LinkedIn where the, you don't get any money from LinkedIn. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the topic of money because I was talking to an editor recently and I was saying that it's easier than ever for artists or creatives to earn a living from their work online. And she, she was explaining that a lot of people still struggle with that. So I'm curious what your take is for, for a writer or for an author. Do, do you think yeah. there are more opportunities to earn a living these days or, or what do you I, think? I'll say absolutely that there are more opportunities but I will not say by any means that it's easy or even easier than it has been. It's maybe it's easier because there are more opportunities and avenues, but you still need the consistency. You still need the quality of work. You still need the entire body of work to actually start to make a living, right? And look at our buddy, Barry, who's been writing for four years. And just now his work is really starting to gain him some income, right? And uh, for me, I'm making find money. I'm by no means wealthy, right? But uh, it's, been a, it's been a year of consistency, like you said. And, and even I wasn't consistent for a couple of months. And that, that definitely shows I had to rebuild myself after a three-month hiatus. So what I will say, you know, all in all, to answer your question, just with a simple phrase, is that you can't just think that because there are more opportunities to earn, that you will all of a sudden be an earner. It doesn't work like that. You still have to put in the work. I like that, Jordan. So you yeah. talked about consistency. So that's something I think is very yeah. important for, oh, yeah. for anybody creative. Because if you turn up every day and produce 100 words or 500 words, they can quickly stack up on top of each other. Yeah. So you'll have you know, 10,000 or 50,000 words at the end of a few months. Yeah. And that's yeah. enough to turn it into, into a book. So uh-huh. if, you're, if you're focused on marketing your book, are you still blocking aside some time for working on the next book? It's so great. It's funny you ask that now. I'm, I'm thinking about starting the next book in two weeks after the TED Talk. So right now, I really just want to make sure that that TED Talk is, is crisp and clear. I'll probably do spend a couple hours a day on just rehearsing for that. Um, and then once that talk is over, I'm going to start the new book. And my, you know, my goal is 500 words a day because my book, The Journey to Cloud Nine, is 35,000 words. Yep. So it's shorter than most books. And that's this, that's my sweet spot. I think that's how I, you know, the length I want all my books to be because, you know, like Mitch Albom's my favorite writer and his, his books are, are nice and concise, you know, 200 pages. Yeah. Um, probably probably 45,000 words are his. He's got some longer ones, but like five people meet in heaven or the next person you meet in heaven are, are nice and short and sweet. So yeah, that's, that's my goal. I can get a book done in, in two months, probably if I keep up with that consistency. Yeah. Stephen Pressfield's books which are very popular are also mm-hmm. quite short yeah I, I remember counting up the words in a chapter and it was about three or four hundred words seriously in a whole chapter yeah 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 but and i feel I, like i'd been shortchanged like a, there's a lot of takeaways in the book yeah and that's you know what i think that's a psychological trick and i i haven't researched this but for me why i love a mitch album book is because the chapters are so short two things one when I finish a chapter, I'm like, yes, like I got a chapter done. And you get that sense of accomplishment, like a small win. 
And then also the chapters are so short that you want to keep reading because you're like, oh, this chapter is only two pages. I can do that. And then you get to finish that and you look at the next, how long the next chapter is. And you're like, oh, it's only four pages. I can do that. So next thing you know, you finished his book in one sitting in in three hours because you're just like, oh, I can can push further. I can do this. And, And you're, you're winning along the way. So that's a big thing I took from his books. And then uh, the other thing I'll mention is, you know, like the five people you meet in heaven, this is another little trick. You want to know who that fifth person is, right? So he starts by showing you who the first person you meet in heaven is. And then once you meet the first person, you're like, who are the other four, right? So with me, the journey to cloud nine, I start you on cloud one, and then you see what happens on cloud one. So my goal for the reader is to say, well, I want to see what happens on cloud nine. What is cloud nine? So I take you to cloud two, three, four, five, all the way to cloud nine. And uh, I just hope that you want to continue reading to see what that, that final cloud is all about. In terms of continuing to read, will the next book be an allegory or is it too early to say? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yep. The next, uh, I'll share with you this. My idea right now is to do a trilogy for my next three books, doing allegories on nighttime routines, morning routines, and midday routines. So I can kind of, you know, do my research and then share stories about how to create those different parts of your day. And do you have, well, you already talked about your morning routine, but do you have an ideal afternoon or evening routine? I do, yeah. Um, My morning routine is that C-O-M-F-Y, calm, openness, movement, funny, and you. My nighttime routine is called cozy, and my midday pump up is called amped. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so those are all acronyms that I'm going to start to write a story about moving forward. Yeah, I could see. I could see how they could work. Wow, yeah. in a book, that's a, yeah. an interesting way to approach. This. Yeah, have you ever read the Five AM Club by Robin Sharma? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an interesting book. Um, yeah, that's the thought is to like, do something like that. I like the concepts behind it. Mm-hmm. Just finally, your TED Talk. How did you go about getting a TED Talk for yeah. your book? How did that yeah, work? Always one of my favorite stories to tell because it it just proves that you don't really need this tremendous platform to get something that you desire like a TED talk, right? Because, you know, the story for my first talk was that I had no platform. I I got it only a couple of months into self-publishing that first book. So I wasn't big on LinkedIn. I wasn't big on Medium yet. I just had an idea for a talk. And uh, I think what most people do, 99% of people probably is, is think that they have to go through the normal avenues to get a TED talk of, going in there and, and seeing the, the TEDx website and going to the application pool and filling out this application and doing a sample video and then submitting it and, and hoping for the best, right? For me, I love people. So I, I feel that no matter what, people can always help us. So what I did was I found a couple of talks in my area. And I, instead of going to the application pool, I went directly to the organizer of the event. And I researched who this person was, and I tried to add value to his or her life. And because I was doing that, we developed a little bit of a relationship and connection. They were more likely to say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? And then, you know, a couple messages in, I said, well, I happen to be a speaker. I saw that you give a TED Talk. Would you be willing to consider having me for your, your event? And a couple of them sent me to the application pool, which I filled out and, and those didn't work out. But one lady in particular, she was a teacher and I told her how this morning routine could help her students, you know, when they get into the classroom. And she said, yes, we'd love to have you. 
So that's how I got the first one. And then the second one was very similar. It was about reaching out, adding value, and uh, sort of going behind the scenes in order to get, get the talk, you know, not having to apply with all the other applicants. And has the TED Talk been helpful in terms of building your brand? Absolutely. Yeah. I think for the first talk, I stepped away from the getting comfy stuff. So I wasn't, I was just doing it for the experience. But I really think this second one is going to be the spark plug for these allegories that I'm going to write for the rest of my life. Because the talk itself is an allegory. I'm going to tell the talk in the form of a story and share the lessons throughout the story with the ultimate reveal that, you know, personal development can be more beneficial for you if you read these allegory type books. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely different to the other personal development books I've read, which, I did, which yeah. is a good, a good thing because there's a yeah. lot of personal development books that follow yeah. the same structure. So people want yeah. to find more information about you or buy The Journey to Cloud9. Where mm-hmm. should they look? Yeah, so buy The Journey to Cloud9. It's on Amazon, just The Journey to Cloud9 by Jordan Gross on Amazon. Um, more information about me and, and all that I do is journeytocloud9.com. And this is all spelled out, journey, T-O, cloud, N-A-N-E.com. And then if you want to get in touch with me, I love, like I said, personal connection. Uh, LinkedIn is the best place. So it's just Jordan Gross on LinkedIn. And I answer all my messages. I promise I get back to everybody on there. Well, best of luck with the, the promoting the book for the rest of the year and also the TED yeah. Talk. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And this was great. Thank you so much for doing this. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course. Thanks for listening.